back at it again. Can't stop, won't stop. It's an NFL Draft Recap Edition of the NFL Draft Bible Player Spotlight Show. I am your host, Rick Saratella, here to break it all down for you, the comings and goings, the recap show uh, with my fellow co-hosts. And we are here on May 8th, 2017. The dust has settled. Working out some kinks. We haven't been uh, doing the the show since the round one, round two recap show. So uh, we're going to get our co-host punched in, dialed up, Joe Everett, Justin Gamble in just a minute. At 12.45, we got Christian Dyer from the Sporting News, of course, MSG Network and Metro U.S. newspaper alike. And, uh, boy, it's another one in the books. I'll tell you, my 16th year covering the draft. The biggest, the baddest, the best yet. Uh, just watching a hundred thousand people congregate <laughs> in, you know, draft heaven. If you're if you're a fan of football, this was NFL draft heaven. I thought it was a great experience for the fans, and you know, for the media. Hey, it's great. We get to interview and, and speak with these guys immediately after they get drafted, and the access is great. But it's it, for the media now. It's just become you know, a media workroom experience where, you know, we we are we are basically in a room just watching it on TV, listening to it on the radio feed. They cut to the pick when it's announced. And, you know, next year I will tell you that NFL Draft Bible will have uh, very unique coverage of the NFL Draft. So uh, with that being said, today we're brought to you by Premier Athlete Advisors, Adam and Matt over at premierathleteadvisors.com. Hey, listen, I just told you I've been watching 16 years of the NFL draft cycle. If you want to know, uh, you know, agent recommendations, if you're a player listening to the show, we'll be starting up the Cosgridor and Showcase, the podcast, the watch list shows, a lot of future players, current players listen to the show. Maybe you're an NFL player and looking for a new agent when you uh, hit the free agency, but uh, Premier Athlete Advisors, hey, I'm not biased. There's a lot of good agents out there. Premier Athlete Advisors is one of them. I suggest to go check them out. And if you need help with your NFL combine training facilities and choosing that after the season, you know, goparabolic.com. Check them out, goparabolic.com. Of course, I'm always in the building checking out the players, evaluating them. Uh, letting them know how they can get better, helping them with their media and marketing, helping them get ready for, you know, interviews with NFL teams. So go com. Of course, NFLDraftBible.com. we got to handle our business here and just let you know that we've already turned the page. The 2018 previews are coming out rocking. We just got a new Inside the War Room posted this morning by our guy, John Blair. Last year he broke down the 2018 quarterback class. Today he broke down the 2018 running back class. And I will tell you what, uh, the man I'm about to welcome in in just a second is working diligently along with myself to bring you the 2018 NFL Draft Prospectus. That's right, the 2018 Draft Prospectus, the top 100 NFL Draft Prospects in America will be available very soon. We will be bringing that to you via the NFLDraftBible.com. And what a better way to introduce my co-host, Joe Everett. What's going on, Joe? 
hey, we, we built the big board, we created the CGS, we covered the season, the pro days, the all-star, it's time to break it all down and, and get started for 2018. So I'm ready to turn uh, yeah. the page, Rick. But, hey, before yeah. we do that, let, let's cover this this draft. Yeah, let's do, let's do that. I know we're poking our heads out of the cave, and, and while the dust has settled on 2017, John, I know you and I have been cranking away on 2018 and beyond, and we'll be kicking off our Cod's Gridiron Showcase watch list series soon. So stay tuned at NFL Draft Bible on Twitter. Joe's at Joe W. Everett. And you can always keep up to date with us there. And uh, our other guy, uh, Justin Gamble, I know he's in route flying uh, at an airport and such. So he'll hop on when he can. We will have Christian Dyer at 1245. Now a moment of silence for everybody to salute and I am now going to take a sip of my Defiance Fuel Water, whatever you're drinking at home, whether it's a, or a cup of joe, a cup of coffee, a cup of frosty, whatever your choice is, a moment of time so we can all take a sip as I enjoy my Defiance Fuel Water, defiancefuel.com. Salute. That's a victory right <laughs> there. Now, Joe, let's talk about victories. Uh, the 2017 NFL draft, hey, it looks good to everybody, you know. Everybody's feeling good about it. Um, you know, I think the big question going in was, you know, the Joe Mixon storyline. Where were these quarterbacks going to go? How were they going to go? Where, which way would they come off the board? All the trade-ups. But to you, looking back now, <clears throat> a week to reflect, the biggest shock from this year's past draft. Well, I got a couple of shocks that, I mean, you know, I'm sure like a lot of these trade-ups and the San Francisco-Chicago trade, and but I'm looking at teams that I thought they were going to address a need that just didn't, and it's not a strong quarterback class, but why the Cardinals? You don't at least get a backup flirting with Mahomes at some point. Get a passer because, you know, you've got aged Carson Palmer, and then the other team in such a great tight end draft. What a great class and a team that definitely needs a tight end. The Steelers, why they did not jump on a tight end at one of the, what, seven, eight, nine picks they had in this draft? I think just eight, but still, in what I believe is one of the strongest classes we've seen, that kind of boggles my mind that the Steelers didn't want to make an upgrade on a Jesse James situation that, you know, I think Heath Miller's absence was noticeable in the run game as well as the pass, so I'd I, that kind of boggled my mind and was a bit of shock that the Steelers, I almost had them pegged as taking Evan Ingram, but uh, Ingram still goes first round, just different team. Yeah, and we saw, you know, three tight ends in the first round. I think we saw two running backs in the first round, so not so much the renaissance that everybody was expecting there. Uh, we had some prop bets in Vegas, you know, check out Bang the Book podcast with Joe at Bang the Book. They reviewed uh, some of the Vegas over-unders. But how about, you know, to me, the biggest shock to me was being able to get two talents such as Reuben Foster and Solomon Thomas for the 49ers. I mean, what a, what a draft haul for John Lynch and the additional picks and uh, just incredible, incredible. Now, will all the other picks pan out? Hey, only time will tell, but not too shabby for a rookie GM who I believe hoodwinked uh, Ryan, Ryan Pace, but you know, Hey, that, that, that horse has been beat to death, Joe. And, you know, to me, uh, 
locally, you know, we'll have Chris Dyer on again at 1245 to talk more about the Giants, but I was stunned. They did not address the offensive line. They did not address the linebackers. And once again, Jerry Reese, you know, going going for the finesse and luxury of adding a tight end. They added Brandon Marshall. You pair him with Sterling Shepard and, you know, Odell Beckham. But now, hey, you know, Eli Manning gets rid of the ball so quick and he will have to continue to do so because no improvement on that offensive line. And, man, I'll tell you what, I, I mean, I talk to Giants fans on a regular basis and these guys are just starving for a linebacker in, in Jersey and big blue. The, I mean, the G-men used to be known for the linebackers and no disrespect to the current ones, but uh, once again, a draft and free agency passes Jerry Reese by without addressing that situation. I thought that was surprising. And, you know, I have some other surprises, but they kind of tie into some of our value picks that we'll talk about later in the show. NFL draft fallout though, Joe, how about uh, the biggest impact player in your opinion that this one may tie in with a little fantasy later but i don't care i think christian mccaffrey's the real deal i think he changes things for the panthers and helps carolina get you know back to where they were two seasons ago uh he's going to be a four down player for him maybe not for the whole length of the season you know they want to they have postseason aspirations so but i mean once they get into the playoffs i'm thinking he's he's going to be that return ace he just was at stanford and really his situation uh, in Stanford, I mean, it's going to be very similar, uh, similar, except he's got a better quarterback. And I always talk about guys, oh, he's going to be a new dimension. He's going to add a new dimension to that offense. Christian McCaffrey is going to do just that. I don't think they've had this explosiveness uh, from the running back position. You'd have to go back to Deshaun Foster back in the day toting the rock uh, for the Panthers. So I think this, this is the guy they needed. They uh, really wanted to address it. They had to pick kind of forecasted I guess before the draft but who cares I think they got exactly what they needed and um, that's a guy that's just going to change things for him I mean it's Jonathan Stewart always injury prone it's hard to imagine him not getting right in the thick of things year one yeah no doubt about it Uh, and they they plugged three needs with one player because they needed help on the return game they needed help in the slot they needed a change of pace there for you know, Jonathan Stewart. So McCaffrey fills that void. They come back and and take Curtis Samuel. They double down, which I love because I thought the addition of those two guys, you saw Cam Newton's completion percentage was terrible last year. He's going to utilize these guys now on dinks and dunks, short to intermediate, getting back to the basics. And I thought what Carolina did really positioned themselves to, to kind of catapult themselves back into the playoff contention. And we have our third amigo on the hotline now. Justin Gamble joins us. Uh, we welcome him into the show off of these travels. Justin, at Gam Scout on Twitter. And, uh, Justin, I know you've been listening to some of the dialogue. We're going to throw you into the mix real quick here. We'll start off with your uh, biggest impact pick, and then we'll uh, – See if you had any shock, but uh, listening here, welcome to the show. Biggest impact for you, sir. What's up, guys? All right, uh, biggest impact. I'm gonna go kind of under the radar, not day one stuff, but uh, what I thought is gonna make a big impact is what the past did, man. When they drafted Rivers and Dietrich Weiss, uh, two kind of you know, Rivers is your classic edge rusher, Weiss is kind of a hybrid interior edge 
you know, whatever you want to call them. But I think those two guys on the D line for the Pats, I think are going to make a big difference. Um, like I said, Rivers is that classic. You're going to line him up out wide. He's going to terrorize tackles. He's going to get to the quarterback. And then Dietrich Wise is just that versatile, long-armed, you know, powerful guy that's going to give them interior pressure. He's going to, you know, be the mismatch type of guy. I think letting the Pats get those two guys and putting them on the same D-line is scary. Um, so, little, little less known, little, you know, not day one stuff, but those two I think are going to be uh, big impact guys. Yeah, and, you know, they they added the wide receiver, obviously, from the Saints Cooks for their first-round pick. And, you know, you get the developmental offensive lineman there with Antonio Garcia out of Troy, Connor McDermott out of UCLA, some developmental guys to work with Dante uh, Scarnecchia there up in New England. Nobody does a better job than between yeah. him, and Alex, him and Alex Gibbs are the two of the best O-line coaches I've ever seen, so – you know, now they they got a, a two two big lumps of clay to try to work with and mold in New England, uh, address some of the pass rush needs. Justin, we we started the show without you, but what was your biggest shock now that you've had a week to look back on the draft and and kind of react to it? Well, I didn't hear what you guys said, so I hope I don't copy one of you. But I think me and Joe were both talking about it together. Uh, I think we were texting each other or something, and we were saying Corey Davis at five was by far the biggest shock that I saw. I mean, five picks into the draft, my my mind was blown. I mean, uh, I like Davis. I think he's a good player. I think he's a good receiver. But to say in the future, looking back, hey, that guy was a top five pick, I don't think I'm going to – I don't think it's going to make sense. I think we're going to look back and be like, yeah, this guy was, what, a fringe first rounder, maybe second rounder. And the fact that he went top five, they must have been enthralled with him. Uh, I don't see him as your true X. I don't think he's a guy that he can beat, you know, a team's top corner consistently. I think you're going to have to scheme him some touches, get him in the slot. Uh, man, uh, that was the biggest shock to me. I thought he would fall to the teens, especially when we're looking at a guy who was a senior who didn't test after the season and all that, and he still goes top five. Uh, blew my mind, man. Blew my mind. Yeah, I think a lot of people were surprised on the early run on wide receivers. If you wanted a wide receiver in this year's draft, you had to get them early, both or all three. Um, Corey Davis, Mike Williams, and John Ross coming off the board yeah. within the first nine picks. That was incredible. Um, quite the draft recap. You know, for me, the biggest impact is going to come from Jacksonville, their overall draft class, but more importantly, Leonard Fournette. He's going to tote the rock. He's going to carry the ball. He's going to make T.J. Yeldon and, and, and uh, Chris Ivory become forgotten men. And, boy, if they could ever get that quarterback situation figured out there in Jacksonville, this team is, is, is going to be in the same boat as Houston. They are ready to compete now. They are playoff contenders. Now, once they get there, are they going to be contenders or pretenders? They will be pretenders because they don't have a quarterback, but they are still in the contention for the playoffs. This is the year Tom Clawson means business. I love the 270-pound fullback from Miami, Marquez Williams, because now you line up the fullback with Fournette in the same backfield, and you're a backer or a safety trying to step up in the gap and make a tackle. Now you got 500 pounds plus of just – beast mode coming at you, so I really like that pick. Um, <laughs> biggest reach 
Joe, we'll go back to you. Uh, it doesn't necessarily have to be first round, but, you know, talk to me here with your biggest reach. Well, I'm probably stealing from Justin, and he predicted it, I think, on our first-round show. Uh, T.J. Watt, overrated, and, of course, someone, I think, reached on him. It was uh, a Steelers team to where I don't know that he's going to be that impact they need right away. And also, what we're looking at is two picks later, the head-scratcher, as they pass on Reuben Foster, who the 49ers trade right back in and scoop up. I don't I think that I, I would argue that they could have used Foster uh, even more than Watt. Like they're, you know, uh, losing an inside linebacker right now, Timmons. And yes, Shazier's a athletic specimen, but he's also proven to be injury prone. Why not get the young buck out of Alabama and just have him chase fools down? I mean, that that, that to me is the biggest reach and head scratcher why Pittsburgh didn't go with a different linebacker there. I'd say. Yeah, you know, and I get it. I see why they did it. They're looking to boost the pass rush, and, you know, maybe he can play a situational type of role. But a lot of people getting scared off by that Reuben Foster medical recheck evaluation. Uh, how about for you, Justin, biggest reach of the 2017 NFL draft? Man, mine came in round three when, no disrespect to him, but <clears throat> Cooper Cup came off the board at 69 to the Rams. And for me, when I watched Cooper Cup's tape, I felt like he was just a good high school player dominating other high school kids. It's just what it looked like. And, I mean, when you look at the other receivers on the board, they left our Darius Stewart, Chad Hansen, and Chris Godwin on the board for Cooper Cup. What, do you, what impact is he going to have year one? What impact is he going to have long term that those guys are not going to, you know, far and away surpass? Uh, that felt like – one of those picks that it was like, did they just stare at the stat sheet and say, this guy, you know, um, I hate to be harsh. I hate to be ridiculous here, but that's that one. When he, when he came off the board there, man, I was just kind of flabbergasted. Uh, I felt like they could have had, if they were really looking for an impact receiver, they could have had some guys that can do some special things. And I didn't think he was one of them. Yeah. And you mentioned our Darius Stewart and Chad Hansen, both of those guys winded up when, uh, the New York Jets uniform, and I, I feel like they're going to have an opportunity there to really make some plays. And I, I actually, I know, Justin, you might agree with me on this. I think Hanson will actually make a bigger impact in the start there. But um, definitely some young, good receivers there with Robbie Anderson, Quincy Inunua, and uh, Eric Decker to lead the way, and we'll talk more about the yeah. New York Jets at 12:45 with Christian Dyer of the Sporting News Metro US, and of course Madison Square Garden Network. Now, <clears throat> Justin Gamble, Joe Everett, Rick Saratella here breaking down the 2017 NFL Draft. For me, you know, I felt like Gary and Conley was a reach just because you don't know. I know he took the lie detector test, but you don't know any legal legal ramifications or fallouts and. You know, they, they gambled with D.J. Hayden a few years back in the heart condition. It didn't exactly pan out. It was a waste of a first-round pick. I hope they don't waste another first-round pick again on a cornerback. It's a little too rich for my liking. I'm not so sure I would have pulled the trigger on that, but credit to uh, Reggie McKenzie for having the balls to do so there. Um, every year there's risk and reward players. There's lightning rods. There's guys like Johnny Manziel that are just boom or bust. Uh, Tim Tebow would probably fall into that category as a first-round pick. And uh, there's plenty of those guys that fall 
And to this year's draft class, especially with all the off-the-field character concerns, you take into the equation the medical issues. I've never seen a first-round draft class with either so many uh, of the medical or character issues. But, uh, Justin, we'll start off with you on this one. Uh, Biggest risk-reward pick, in your opinion? Yeah, I'm going to prove Joe wrong. And uh, (laughs) I'm going to be realistic here, man. And I think Jabril Peppers... You got. I mean, he's a good player. Let's let's be real. He's a good player, but I think, you know, projecting him to the NFL, like it, he's a risk. He's a risky player. Uh, if he can't, if Greg Williams can't figure out a way to maximize his talents and turn him into an impact player, he's not going to be worth that top pick. Uh, I know he was their second first round pick, but um, the, for the Browns, but uh. If he ends up being just an athlete, if, if just being an athlete is his most elite trait and he's not a phenomenal defensive player at any point, then uh, he's going to be a bust. And he's a risky player just because there's a lot of unknowns with him. So, I mean, if he doesn't turn into an excellent, strong safety, that's going to be kind of a busty pick. So uh, there is a lot of risk there. There's also a lot of reward, but I think Peppers is realistically one of those guys that I would put in that category for sure. Yeah, definitely. Uh, Taylor Mays is a name that comes to mind. The USC safety mm-hmm. tested phenomenal at the combine and never panned out there for the Bengals. Uh, risk reward for you, Joe? Well, uh, I'm uh, Justin stole mine. No, just kidding. Uh, I'm gonna go Dalvin Cook. You guys know I've been uh, kind of worried about Dalvin Cook's uh, past. He's got some. Stuff that's well documented. He's also got some stuff, you know, behind the curtain we know about. But well, also we know about his shoulder injuries, both of them that he's taken. And I'm not so sure the ball security uh, right now is where it needs to be. I know he can catch, but maybe there was just some mental things last season. Bottom line, if you were to tell me uh, in two years from now that oh, well, Dalvin Cook's not exactly starting, he's had some trouble off the field, I just wouldn't be surprised. So that's a guy that I'm just. Uh, uh, this is why he's slipped to the second round. I mean, he has that vision and ability. We all know there's the goods on the field, but there's also, you know, that risk that teams just had to weigh. And I still think the Vikings, you know, uh, taking a player like that, they they may or may not have him on that second contract. And I think that's a, a real gamble they took there. Definitely huge, huge uh, boom or bust type of uh, situation there. And could go one way or the other, uh, so, can it for Patrick Mahomes for the Chiefs, I thought, you know, that's probably the biggest risk because John Dorsey right there, hey, if it doesn't pan out, Andy Reid, I'm not sure how many years left he's got anyway. He'll roll the dice. They kind of plateaued with Alex Smith. He'll give it a whirl here with Mahomes. If it doesn't work out, hey, Andy Reid can ride off into the sunset. If it doesn't work out, it's going to cost John Dorsey his job. That was a bold move. He gave up a lot of equity to move up and take Patrick Mahomes, who is very similar to one of those wild cards. We mentioned Johnny Manziel. He's a wild gunslinger type of uh, improvising quarterback that needs a lot of fundamental work. It's going to take some time. We'll see how it works out at the end of the day. The biggest uh, reward, I think, that's going to come out of this draft is in San Francisco, John Lynch listening to his coach, Kyle Shanahan, persistent, very persistent, Joe, one of your guys, uh, Joe Williams, as a matter of fact, 
I think in the fourth round, I mean, I would not be surprised if this guy winds up being the starting uh, starting running back for San Francisco and uh, just a guy that John Lynch had taken off the board entirely. Kyle Shanahan was so persistent that after day two, John Lynch could not sleep. On the way to the draft, I think uh, Saturday morning, he calls up Joe Williams and has like a half-hour conversation with him. And because Kyle Shanahan was so persistent about wanting this guy, uh, John Lynch pulled the trigger, listened to his coach. And, hey, you know what, fellas? Akella Witherspoon, big, lengthy, fast corner. Uh, C.J. Beathard right now to me, (laughs) he might not be as good as – Brian Hoyer, but hey, he can compete with just about any quarterback on that roster. And then his teammate George Kittle, who had a phenomenal uh, NFL combine. There's a lot of players here in San Francisco that can make a big impact. Solomon Thomas and Ruben Foster, of course, being at the top of that list. But I wouldn't be surprised if Joe Williams comes away. Who knows? Maybe NFL Offensive Rookie of the Year award. There you go. Um. Value picks, guys. Keeping it moving and keeping it grooving. Let's run through these best value pick on day one, day two, day three. Um, you know what? Because we have so much other to get to, let's keep these condensed. I'll I'll ask you to hit all three in one shot. Justin, I'll start off with you. Give me day one, day two, day three, all in one shot, uh, the Cliff Note version if you can. All right, baby. Uh, Foster. Day one, Foster, Ruben Foster, man. I mean, kid was going to be, what, top 10 pick. He ended up getting to 31. Uh, day two, you're looking at Malik McDowell at 35, another top five talent that slipped that far. Uh, day three, uh, for me, it was Leon McQuay, man. Went in the sixth round, I believe, last pick of the sixth round. And you heard the scouts for the Chiefs talking after the draft saying, you know, this kid is going to be the nickel. He's going to be – he's got length. He's got athleticism. I think he's going to be a starter there someday. So that was a big value pick for me. All right. Talk about Cliff Note version. Very good, Justin. Uh, Joe. <laughs> day one, day two, day three. What you got for me? All right, I'm just going to go O.J. Howard. Uh, he should not have been available where he was, and he's going to fit perfect at the Bucks. Uh, Malik Hooker the other day won. Sure, he isn't going to play, but the Colts just got one. I got a guy I think is a top five player. Uh, where they got him, and uh, he could be a stud for them for years. And then day two, Jordan Willis. I just, I thought he was a first-rounder. Uh, he's got blazing speed, real twitchy off the edge. He's a fit for the Bengals. I think they just, you know, got themselves a terrific player. And then uh, Kevin King, of course, top of the second round. That was – I think that's basically a first-round pick. And then day three, um, I'm going in Justin's neck of the woods, Jake Butt, another injured player, but – Terrific kid, functional blocker, gifted receiver. I, I think he'll be playing football at some point this season. So uh, that's just a value and uh, really just locker room presence. That guy's going to be a, a player for them uh, the rest of the way. So I love Jake Butt going to uh, Denver. Yeah, I like that pick as well, Joe. And, uh, you know, I, I'm going to try to run through these quickly here. To me, you know, we talked about this, I think, on the on one of our previous shows, but when we look back a decade from now and figure out why did Jonathan Allen last so long? I mean, I think that's going to be the biggest head scratcher and 
And I think that was the biggest steal probably of day one. For day two, um, I just had him here in front of me. I'm trying to do some stuff on the fly with you guys because I'm always moving and grooving. But Tim Williams, Baltimore in the third round, I mean, he's going to probably uh, outplay a lot of the uh, pass rushers that went ahead of him. And then how about uh, Malachi Dupree in the seventh round to the Packers? I think that's going to be a guy you're going to hear a lot about. Um, And then Blair Brown, we talked about that Jacksonville Jaguars uh, draft. I thought Blair Brown, I think, went somewhere in the fourth round. That was another great value pick, in my opinion. Now, um, we got 15 minutes till Christian Dyer gets on board. We're going to get our final thoughts after that. I try to get Justin's final thoughts before Christian comes on board because I know he's got a jet. Uh, overall winners and losers, you know, that I, I want to really spend some time on the winners there. So we'll work our way there. Um, again, we'll do cliff note version on the quarterbacks because everybody, I think, you know, you've probably gotten enough information overload on the first round quarterbacks. If you listen to like the mainstream media outlets, they've, They've talked about the first-round quarterbacks. But people do want to know your opinion, guys, because it's a different opinion. It's a valuable opinion. So real quickly here, Joe, I'll start with you. Give me the first-round quarterback most likely to succeed, the first-round quarterback most likely to bust, and then your non-first-round quarterback that you like the most. Well, you guys know it's Deshaun Watson for me. I mean, it's got to be better than Tommy Savage, right? Going to uh, the quarterback guru, Bill O'Brien, and going to Nuck Hopkins and uh, Will Fuller, you, you could be in worse situations. I, I think he's in a nice uh, little spot. And then Mitchell Trubisky is my bust. I think he's the next Cade McNown. Uh, you have to go circa 1999 for that one. Uh, I just don't think he's got the arm strength or the velocity to cut through those Chicago winds and, and violent weather he's going to see. Uh, I think Bears fans may be missing uh, Mr. Jay Cuddy next year. So, uh, And then my non-first-rounder, uh, we talked about the guy, I think Brad Kaya, uh, where he's going, sitting behind Matty Stafford. Not a bad situation to be in. He could learn slowly. He's got a, a another great offensive coordinator, uh, Scott uh, Linehan, I believe. But uh, bottom line, it's going to be good coaching, uh, good receivers, good offense. Uh, I like Kaya as the non-round. You know, a couple years from now, we could see Kaya maybe starting or doing his own thing. Hmm. Interesting. You know, the Chicago point, it's funny because they spent all this money on Glennon. They traded all these picks and invested in Trubisky. <laughs> and the quarterback that's probably better than both of them is going to be broadcasting for Fox this year. It's just really interesting on <laughs> how some of these quarterback situations have, have played out. And guys like Ryan Fitzpatrick and Colin Kaepernick can't find a job. And, you know, uh, teams are willing to give up a lot of uh, stock to to get guys like Patrick Mahomes and um, Deshaun Watson, Mr. Trubisky. Justin, what's your take on the first-round quarterbacks? Who's your non-first-round quarterback that you like? Quarterbacks, man. Uh, Guy most likely to succeed. For me, it's Mahomes. I don't think there's a whole lot of pressure on him uh, to do anything other than just kind of sit learn behind Alex Smith, uh, let Andy Reid teach him the system. 
let Andy Reid kind of build it around him. I think he's got the, you know, the intangibles. He's definitely got the physical tools. Uh, I think he's kind of just got – he's got the best situation to just chill out and just see what's up. Uh, First-round quarterback most likely to bust. For me, sorry, Joe, it is Watson. Um, I think there's going to be a huge learning curve. I don't think enough people acknowledge that. I mean, the system he comes from is basically just a high school offense. It's kind of a one-read, half-field stuff. Um, A lot of simplified pop passes and slants. And I just think that weak, inaccurate arm of his overall, it's going to be tough to overcome that. I mean, Bill O'Brien can only simplify things so much. But I think he's gonna that that inaccuracy is what's gonna plague him in the long run. Um, the non first round quarterback that I like most is Kaiser. Uh, he was my top quarterback in the draft anyway. He's a big, mobile, smart kid. He's got the arm strength. He's got the placement and accuracy. He's got Hugh Jackson. That's gonna coach him up. He doesn't have a whole lot of pressure to start right away. But I think he is ready. Um, I definitely think. Yeah, I mean, if you look at the Browns, too. They're loading up on weapons. They're building the O-line, the run game, the passing. I think he's got the potential to be a franchise quarterback, and I think he will be at some point. So I think, you know, of any quarterback in this draft, I think Kaiser is going to end up uh, the best quarterback. I think he's going to be that franchise guy. Well, what if I told you that all the first-round quarterbacks will be a bust? I would it very well be. <laughs> yeah, and exactly. you know what? And, and I think Kaiser could turn out to outperform all those guys. But to me, Nate Peterman in Buffalo, I think he's going to have a real opportunity. Tyrod Taylor, hey, is he better than some of the other starting quarterbacks around the league? Yeah, sure. But at, at a certain point in time, you just get agitated with, uh, you know, how far he can advance your roster. And I think Nate Peterman – is a guy that could get an opportunity sooner rather than later and take full advantage of that. So, you know, you talk about the Bears trading up for Mitchell Trubisky. The other head-scratching thing, and, you know, interrupt me, fellas, if somebody feels strongly about this, but I'm going to move on. But I just wanted to throw it out there to our listening audience. I put it out there on Twitter during the draft. I thought it was really interesting that they took the kid out of NC Central or NCANT. Yeah, Tariq Cohen over Donnell Pumphrey, who all he did was set the NCAA rushing record all time. Uh, very similar stature, very similar in game. Thought that was a little bit of a head scratcher as well. Uh, maybe they know something that we don't. And I met Tariq Cohen here in New York at the uh, National Football Foundation, the Cubs Football Hall of Fame. They were uh, recognizing all the, you know, athlete scholars from different levels of collegiate football but to me you know I'm I'm if I'm going to take a, a one of these kind of scat backs undersized players I'm taking my risk with Danelle Pumphrey over Tariq Cohen you know again am I not seeing something here guys or should I just move on I think if I, if I can jump in I, to, for me what it was was Tariq Cohen has a different frame he's thicker he's got a more sturdy, compact frame, and he kind of ran with better pad level. Like, you could see, even though he was tiny, you kind of felt like he was big because it's like, well, he's built like a little bowling ball. Where Donnell Pumphrey looked like a seventh grader. And I think maybe that just, you know, sometimes that matters. Sometimes just how you look scares GMs or teams away. And I think maybe the fact that he's so thin 
and you know overall I don't I think he was explosive but he wasn't Tavon Austin or someone just freakish I think maybe being so small so thin and not being absolutely elite might have scared some teams off where Cohen at least has that build where you it looks like it can take more of a beating so that was my that was kind of what I justified it to myself as was that right there all right, not a bit, Barry. That's Justin Gamble. We got Joe Everett, Rick Saratella, breaking it all down. NFLDraftBible.com, already banging you and bopping you over the head with 2018. Turning the page here as the dust has settled, but we're recapping it all for you a week ago. It all wrapped up a year of uh, hard work of scouting for many NFL teams already front office shakeups. That's a show for another time, and you know, we were going to talk some fantasy impacts, fellas, but unfortunately we're short on time, so maybe we'll do that in a future show. I want to talk about winners and losers. Um, we'll, we'll work in reverse order because, to me, I don't like to harp too much time on the losers because it's hard to say we're not in the war room, we're not in the front office. We don't know the type of players each team is targeting for their specific schemes, so we do – rankings more as a generality uh, without a specific team scheme or fit. So for me personally, I don't like to harp too much on, you know, losers because, hey, we're not the ones making the decisions. I don't think it's fair to criticize these guys. I've already, you know, discussed my displeasure with Chicago. I thought they got hoodwinked and gave up a lot more than what they had to. But other guys like Bill Polian – say that the move was a stroke of genius. And, you know, if you listen to my fantasy uh, or my NFL draft recap show with the fantasy sports babe, uh, or the fabulous sports babe, I'm sorry, I got my head in so many different places. Um, You know, you can get more on that. But anyway, guys, we'll, we'll just go through winners and losers. Justin, I'll start off with you. Anybody that you didn't like, from an overall team perspective, let's get the losers out of the way because I really want to focus our time on the winners. So losers yeah. for you, Justin. Uh, for me, and like you said, it's hard to judge these play. you know, when we weren't in the war, we don't know exactly what they're looking for. But just from an outsider perspective of what I thought would fit their scheme and talking to analysts that work within, you know, their, their city and their whatever, uh, the Cowboys didn't really – I would say they didn't draft according to what, you know, most people thought they needed and what fit their scheme. They got Charlton. I know a lot of Dallas Cowboy analysts were saying they needed, you know, kind of an edge screamer, a smaller weak side uh, guy to beat left tackle. I don't know if Charlton was that guy. I think he's more of the big base end. Uh, They got a Wuzier who, is he an inside guy? Is he an outside guy? Is he a safety? We're not really sure. I don't know what Dallas's plan for him is. Um, they got let's see Xavier Woods, the safety. They got Marquez White. And I feel like they got a lot of good players, but I'm not sure if any of these guys are true plug-and-play at one spot. I don't know who's going to give them that impact at one particular spot. So I, I, I like the talent that they kind of stockpile, but I'm not sure how it all fits within their scheme. And that kind of worries me. I don't know. Um, when they lost so many starters, I just wonder how they're going to replace them with guys that I don't know are all starter caliber. Yeah, and, you know, I think to your point, 
4-3, hand-in-the-dirt defensive end are hard to come by. So Taco Charlton, if anything, there's going to be a hell of uh, promotions come Taco Tuesdays in, in the Dallas area. <laughs> um, a I mean, I could see Chidobe Awuzie just because they lost Mars Claiborne during free agency. But, no, I agree, Justin, some of those later picks. There's not that uh, immediate impact player I agree with you and that sometimes – you know, when you're looking for a pass rusher, sometimes you got to kind of have to reach. I don't really envision Taco Charlton being a double-digit sack master kind of guy, but, you know, who knows, maybe he can get six, seven, eight sacks there playing in Dallas. Uh, Joe, anybody you didn't like here for uh, the draft? I love it. Dallas Cowboys, Chicago Bears at the top of my list. You guys nailed them. Uh, just Taco Charlton. He's not a fit for the Tampa 2. He's speed deficient, and I just think there's better ends. And, yeah, they took red flags. And one more thing about the Cowboys. If they're taking Ryan Switzer at 133, he must have convinced him that he was Barry's grandson or something. I mean, which he is not. But, yeah, I don't, I don't love anything about what the Cowboys did. And then also the Chiefs. I'm a Mahomes fan, but this is a playoff team that needs to find a way to beat the Patriots and not wait until Tom mm-hmm. Brady retires building your offense of the future. How is Mahomes, uh, Tono Passano, and Chesson going to do that? Neither of those guys may even get on the field year one, and this is a, a team they need yeah. to get ready, ready for now. And I just I kind of disagree with their direction and, and sort of thought process. So, yeah, the Chiefs I'm not happy with. Very valid points there by Joe Everett. Justin Gamble now over to the winners. And, Justin, we're going to let you get your winners in so that um, I know you got a boogie. So hit us with your winners. Who did you like? This is the moment I've been waiting for. I'm curious to hear your perspective on who came out on top in the 2017 NFL draft. Well, I think most people, you know, are already talking about how the Browns and Niners killed it, and I completely agree, and I'll let you guys get to that. But for me, kind of two under-the-radar teams that I thought just stockpiled starters was uh, the Ravens and the Bucks. I mean, the Ravens went basically all defense for, like, the first four rounds, but they got four starters on defense, man. Humphrey, Bowser, Wormley, and Williams, uh, Tim Williams. I mean, those guys are all plug-and-play impact players, man. And then later in the late rounds, they got Illuminor, the tackle from Texas A&M, who's probably a starter at guard, and Chuck Clark, that's kind of the combo safety from Virginia Tech. Um, Bucks, mm-hmm. Bucks did the same thing, man. They just loaded up with starters. O.J. Howard, starter at tight end. Josh, uh, Justin Evans, starter at free safety. Chris Godwin, who some might thought crack, would uh, crack the first round mark, man. Uh, Beckwith, yep. Nichols, Stevie T, these are all starters. So I think the Bucks wowed me when they just kind of let the board fall to them and just kept snagging dudes that they're going to plug in and make impacts with, surrounding Jameis Winston with playmakers, stockpiling talent for that defense. Those guys just freaking killed it. Yeah, definitely. You mentioned mm-hmm. Tampa Bay, Jason Lick uh, from the – New England, Belichick tree, also John Robinson in Tennessee. You see him doing a lot of uh, Patriot-esque type of things in the draft. So uh, definitely, definitely some big-time winners there. Hey, Justin, uh, we appreciate you hopping on, your your travel schedule and all. I know you're in route, moving, hopping and bopping around over there in Cali. So, um, you know, say hello to the sunshine weather for me and, we appreciate you hopping on and, and uh, looking forward to doing some future shows. Yeah, I'll talk to you guys later this week with a beer and a beach towel, man. 
<laughs> Take it easy, Justin. Salute. Hey, Joe Everett, Rick Saratella here. We got Christian Dyer hopping on in just a second. But first, excuse me, we have to get to Joe Everett's NFL draft winners. And while we don't put a big emphasis on NFL draft grades here at the Draft Bible, we do put a big emphasis on what Joe Everett has to say. So, Joe, hit us with your winners. Well, I definitely agree with uh, Justin's Tampa Bay. They were uh, on the list, but I'm going to go Philadelphia Eagles. I think Derek Barnett and that Jimmy Short's defense front, uh, rushing opposite Brandon Graham, is going to be a real nice scheme fit. And then Sidney Jones, I know I'm a big fan of injured players, I guess, but I think he's going to be bad. It's just an Achilles. And, sure, if he doesn't play a snap this year, he's going to be a great corner for them down the road, which is exactly what they need. Uh, Rasul Douglas is the type of versatile defensive back. He could just, uh, I think, hit the ground running for them, maybe at nickel, maybe a little safety. Uh, Played through a root canal during the senior bowl week, so you know he's tough. And uh, I think getting Humphrey, as you mentioned, uh, late. And and then Mac Hollins and Shelton Gibson, they need complementary wide receivers like this. Mac Hollins is a phenomenal run blocker and great special teams tackler, while Shelton Gibson, sure, his time doesn't translate to what we see, but when we watch West Virginia games, Shelton Gibson looks like the fastest player on the field. So I think what they got is a bunch of fits for their needs, and then I'll close with the Saints. Uh, Marshall Landmore in the first, and Ryan Ramchick, I'm not crazy about him, but that fills a need, and they didn't go reaching for him crazy like, uh, but Marcus Williams, I am cuckoo crazy for. I think that's one of the best safeties in this draft. They got him in the second round, and then Alvin Kamara, he may be one of the best pass catchers on the team right now. Alex Anzalone is going to be a big tackler for him. I just think uh, that's a ton of value. And when you get Trey Hendrickson just outside the top 100, I'm looking at six guys that should have been top 100 that the Saints are just adding to the mix right now. That's uh, I think that's a nice draft haul for New Orleans. No doubt about it. I mean, you know, the, so much talk about the defense in this year's draft, Joe, but – when I look around at the offenses, especially in the NFC, you mentioned the Saints. Uh, adding a guy like Kamara to the same backfield as Peterson and Ingram, oh, my. <laughs> I mean, and, you know, you get Ramchek, like you said, another guy, another mauler to throw up there on the front line. Teams like Carolina, we talked about, McCaffrey and Samuel, uh even the Chargers with Mike Williams, what they did there, and, and reloading with Phillip Rivers, Rivers' final year, the Giants, and their reloaded offense. A lot of teams here, while 19 first-round picks were from the defensive side, a lot of teams really boosted the offensive side of the ball as well. And just to follow up on a couple of things that you said, Shelton Gibson, I got to tell you, I was allowed inside the um, – Lucas Oil Stadium there, and when they were having the quarterback wide receiver drills, Shelton Gibson from from West Virginia, who wound it up with the Eagles, as you said, one of the smoothest, I mean, just smoothest receivers there in Indianapolis. So uh, I think he could turn out to be a, a very valuable asset there. And then, um, you know, you talked about Kamara with the Saints, so two big winners. I'm going to give you my big winners after our big special guest. So there's a little tease, but, uh, you know, we had this guy on after our uh, first day one, day two recap shows. He did a great job. 
breaking down the Giants and Jets. Of course, he's rooted here in the tri-state area. He covers the teams for the Metro U.S. newspaper. He also writes for the Sporting News. He does TV work for the Madison Square Garden Network, a very uh, internationally known individual, and a recently announced podcast, a, a new podcast with Justin Tuck. We welcome him to the show, Christian Dyer, right now on the Defiance Fuel Water Hotline. Christian, welcome to the show. Before we get into our draft recaps, uh, tell us a little bit about this podcast with Justin Tuck. Appreciate it, and, and thanks for having me on, Rick. And, uh, you know, it's going to be uh, exciting with Justin Tuck. Uh, it's going to be on msgnetworks.com. We're going to be talking about uh, football, the Giants, Jets, local teams, NFL at large. Uh, I'm going to be beginning a little bit closer to the season, but uh, we ran out one episode right now kind of post-draft just to pick his brain. And, you know, Justin follows the, the league very closely. Uh, he's an Alabama guy who played for Notre Dame, so he watches – uh, you know, football from all across the country really knows his stuff, uh, incredibly articulate and thoughtful, and uh, can't fault him for this. He's a big-time New York Rangers fan, too. So, uh, you know, our, our season might be coming to a close sooner rather than later, which means maybe we can talk a little bit more football coming up. And not to mention a two-time Super Bowl winner, and if you want your finger on the pulse with the Giants or Jets, that's where you need to go. Uh, Christian, you did such a great job breaking it down after day one, day two with the Giants and Jets. We wanted to have you back on here to kind of uh, break it down for us because we are rooted in New Jersey. NFL Draft Bible headquarters here in New York, New Jersey, tri-state area. So a a large contingency of our following is from this area, and they want to know, how did Big Blue do? Last time we started with the Jets, gang green. This time we'll start with the Big Blue Wrecking Crew and the G-Men. Uh, we got your thoughts on day one and, and some of the early round picks, but what was your overall consensus thoughts on, on Jerry Reese and his NFL draft? Yeah, I mean, color me a little disappointed with what the Giants ended up doing in the draft. I, I think they got some fine pieces. I don't think they had a great draft, an overwhelming draft. But really, when you look at the major needs that they came in with along the offensive line, I felt they had to take at least two offensive linemen, one for sure on day one, uh, possibly another one on day two or early day three. Uh, they waited to the sixth round to address the issue uh, with uh, Dasana Wadi. Um, you know, I think that there's going to be an awful lot of finger pointing if the Giants don't make it to the playoffs this year, which I think, quite frankly, could be a distinct possibility. That's how bad this offensive line can potentially be. It was their Achilles heel last year with a very poor schedule. They failed to address it in the first two days adequately, I think. So, um, yeah, no matter what they did, I like their second-round pick. I thought Davis Webb was a good value pick in the third round. I thought they did some interesting things with Avery Moss a little bit later on, um, you know, in the fifth round. But everything's going to be colored by the fact that they didn't get one of those top three offensive tackles. And they really, you know, waited too late to address what I think is the most glaring issue for a team that if they had done that guys, they would have been able to take the next step forward and be go from being maybe division contenders to possibly Super Bowl contenders. Hmm. Yeah, I don't disagree, especially about the offensive line. Now, you know, on the other perspective, you can state an argument now with Odell Beckham, Brandon Marshall, Sterling Shepard in the slot, Evan Ingram running team routes. I mean, is this potentially one of the most explosive offensive units in terms of the skill positions? And we've seen how 
Eli Manning has gotten rid of the ball so quickly and made it work behind the makeshift offensive line. Can you can you now argue that this is the most explosive passing attack in the NFL? It certainly is if Manning's able to go out there and actually have time to throw the ball. All it's going to take is one hit, and Manning's taken some awfully big big hits the past two seasons uh, with the Giants. And I think, quite frankly, the Giants season is one Manning hit away from being, you know, a pretty bad record and Jerry Reese probably being shown the door. Uh, you know, I think Evan Ingram was an interesting pick, certainly when you look at what he can bring. Uh, he, he was very much of a slot-type receiver at Ole Miss. He's not, he's not a functioning blocking tight end. He was possibly adequate in the SEC when you watch a lot of his game tape, uh, you know, in terms of his blocking ability, which means at the NFL level and the Giants who run that 1-1 personnel with one tight end, one running back, uh, I think it's going to be a real challenge for them when they line up and they're asking Ingram to do any type of blocking if they plan on flexing him out wide and putting him in a slot type of role well then where does that leave Sterling Shepard who was their second round pick last year who looked so good so I like the Engram pick in theory but with so many glaring holes uh, to me to get somebody who is a stretch at number 23 and listen if they had gone after some of the guys who had who were falling in the draft at that point and had said, well, this is the best available, that would have been fine. But to get Ingram, who's a bit of a luxury pick for a team that's not quite at that point yet, uh, that's going to remain the head-scratcher of the draft for me, for the Giants, as much as the Trubisky deal was a head-scratcher with the Bears. Okay, last one on the Giants, and then we'll transition over to the Jets. But before the draft, Giants were linked to possibly signing LeGarrette Blount. Paul Perkins right now, the the favorite on the roster to head into the season as the starting running back. But this kid, Wayne Gallman out of Clemson, man, I got to tell you, he's an NFL draft Bible favorite. We we love what this kid can do, physical runner, between the tackles type of guy. How do you envision this backfield now heading into 2017? Who starts the year as the running back? Who finishes the year as the running back? Well, I mean, let's just focus on Wayne Gelman right now, who I think is a very steady running back. You look at his production at Clemson, it, w- it was relatively solid, not lights out, not a ton of, you know, um, big yard chunks. It was just good, steady kind of runs. He runs well between the tackles, reads the holes. He's patient. He's, he's, he's very reliable in terms of his ball control. He has only four fumbles during his entire college career, which is an absurdly low number. Um, the one thing I didn't like about him, he's six foot. He runs a little upright, which is going to be an issue when you're dealing with a dominant team like Clemson with the offensive line that they had. Um, you know, that can mask an awful lot of issues. But I think that right now he's probably going to step in and really just kind of be in the mix. I mean, I'm not sure how much the Giants have in the stable. I think Paul Perkins is ready to take a big step forward. And Perkins, an awful lot like Gilman, very good after contact. They're, they're, they're elusive type of running backs in that they can make at least one person miss. So with the Giants probably just asking their running backs to be decent, to be present, to churn out some yards, to keep teams from putting, you know, uh, too, too many bodies. You know, they want them to have to stack the box a little bit more and not throw too many bodies into the secondary I think Gelman's going to be able to provide that. Is he lights out? No. But I think he's good, solid, and steady. And where the Giants ended up getting him on day three, I think they got pretty good value for that pick. So I agree with you. I, you know, is it a steal? No. But is he going to be someone who's going to be a good, solid professional with tremendous work ethic? Absolutely. This, is, this was one of the Giants' 
better picks along with Avery Moss, who I think may have been their steal for the draft. Yeah, that 29th uh, rushing attack, too, needs a lot of work. So, Gallman definitely will have an opportunity uh, to take advantage. Let, let's transition over to the Jets. We're talking with uh, Christian Dyer, Metro U.S. newspaper, sportingnews.com, as well as msgnetwork.com. Uh, Chris, New York Jets obviously had a lot of needs going into the draft. Uh, some people will call it a rebuilding phase. Others might say a youth movement. Uh, can they reload and rebuild or, and stay competitive on the fly here? Is that what this draft told you, or will it be a season or two of suffering for New York Jets fans? Well, I, I think we knew as soon as Josh McCown was signed that this was going to be more of a rebuilding type of mode. What the, what the Jets are looking to do at the quarterback situation was probably play it out and either look via free agency next year, which isn't a, a, a very deep free agent pool uh, for the Jets, or certainly looking to be one of those top five picks so they can get uh, one of the quarterbacks who's going to be coming out, uh, potentially the Wyoming quarterback or you know USC or, 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 or the UCLA one. So I think that there's uh, everything's going to be pointed certainly towards a rebuilding year. I think almost anywhere the Jets would have picked, perhaps outside of offensive line, but anywhere that they would have picked was going to end up being uh, a good value. So, someone who could come in, contribute right away, uh, be somebody who's uh, you know going to have the potential to make the two deep almost instantly. And I think the Jets up and down their draft got those good guys. They may not have been burners outside of uh, Adams, who, you know, you're talking about a top two, top three talent that they got sixth overall, uh, but they were able to stock up. And that's the reason why when people say that they weren't happy with the May selection in the second round, they'll say, okay, but where else did they have holes on the roster? Well, you know, this was one of the holes they had. They have major issues in the back end of their secondary. So, Yes, taking mm-hmm. two safeties perhaps isn't ideal, but sometimes you just want to get one part of the board taken care of. They took care of their needs in the secondary, and now the secondary and the offensive line aren't terrible. Defensive line is, is certainly strong enough, so they're further along in that they've taken care of a couple of the holes on their roster, and they don't need to now go kind of panning through uh, the tidbits and what's left in free agency. They got the secondary done, the offensive line solid, the defensive line solid, that lets them then focus on the other pieces where there's an awfully bare roster. Yeah, you know, everybody says, hey, we just took Calvin Pryor, I think, in the first round a couple of years ago, but that was a different regime. But Mars Claiborne, they signed in the offseason, he's just 27 years old. He's entering his prime, and then he's an LSU guy. You add Jamal Adams, uh, who I think is going to become the leader of that secondary if not the leader of that defense along with Marcus May they rebuilt their secondary then they rebuilt their their passing unit we talked about Quincy Anunwa and Robbie Anderson earlier on in the show with Eric Decker there are some veteran leadership now you add guys like Ardarius Stewart and Chad Hansen and even Jordan Leggett from Clemson a pass catching tight end the one thing I see the common denominator here early on McCagnan going all major big-time football programs, LSU, Florida, Alabama, California, Clemson, his first uh, five picks coming from major football programs. And then later on, on day three, rounds five through six, he you know took some roll of the dice with some smaller school guys, uh, a guy like Dylan Donahue from West Georgia, D2 kid who, you know, has like 26 
tackled for a loss the last two years. Elijah McGuire from Louisiana Lafayette, who Joe can tell you, um, can come in and, and, and play a, a role type of situation. So is this the mantra with McCagnan, uh, big major program schools early on? Is he is he trying to avoid those early misses here and, and then rolling the dice later on in the rounds? Did you notice any of that in his, his draft picks here this year? Yeah, I thought it was a very pragmatic draft from, from McCagnan. I think when you're a team with his roster as bad as the Jets and as bad as the Jets were last year uh, with their roster and with their depth, I, I think you're able to do something like this. You're able to take the best player available because chances are outside of one or two spots on the defensive line and the offensive line, this is a roster that desperately needed talent anywhere you looked up and down the two deep. And being able to go out there and get guys from big program, perhaps, you know, uh, you know, not necessarily gamble type of guys, not necessarily anyone outside of Adams who has a huge potential upside, but good solid picks is also a way for a general manager who could potentially be on the hot seat, um, you know, by, by November, December to be able to say, well, we got good solid guys. They're contributing. Let's augment this with free agency. The rebuild isn't done yet. So I thought it was a smart move by McCagnin not to go out there and roll the dice. There were certainly guys with awfully high potential that were going to be out there um, who he could have gotten, who could have contributed. I think in the second round, sitting where they were, guys, uh, you know, there was the potential for uh, the Jets to have gone after, let's say, a Joe Mixon or somebody like that um, who could have instantly come in and and been a a star and been a contributor and, you know, has huge potential upside but comes with an awful lot of risk as well. So that's going to be the balance that McCagney wanted to strike. He wanted to get guys who came in, contribute, became starters, put up numbers, so that, you know, if his head's on the chopping block in week 17, he can go to Jets ownership and say, essentially, look at what I brought in. We have five or six guys now who are contributing. Let's continue on this. Let's build on it. And, and, and I think the point about Jordan Leggett is, is really a good one. Here's a guy who brings an awful lot uh, on the field, big play potential, can stretch a defense, can be reliable outlet for uh, you know, potentially young quarterbacks who they might be bleeding into the system by the middle point of the um, of the schedule. So I think um, I thought it was an overall good, solid draft for Mike McCagnan. Not not lights out, but pretty much what the doctor ordered. Well, Mike McCagnan, one of two NFL general managers down at the Cobb Gridiron Showcase, so you know he's definitely scouting some of those small school undrafted free agent players, and you can see that uh, by the day three and undrafted free agent signings that he made. Hey, Christian, we appreciate it. I just uh, retweeted the debut podcast with Justin Tuck uh, over on msgnetworks.com. So all you guys listening, uh, check out Christian Dyer, Christian R. Dyer on Twitter. We just retweeted his podcast. You can go listen to that, follow him. Uh, He's a great read over there on the sportingnews.com. And of course the Metro U.S. newspaper, Chris, we appreciate uh, some precious time of your busy schedule. <laughs> well, it's always great to be on. And, uh, I mean, there's no better resource out there than NFL Draft Bible uh, before, during, and after the draft. So always appreciate what you guys do as well. Hey, we appreciate that. That's Christian Dyer. Go follow him on Twitter. We just retweeted that podcast with Justin Tuck. Uh, I didn't know the first episode was out. I'm kind of excited now to go listen to that. I'm going to – Tune in right after we finish recording this podcast. Joe, 
some overtime here. We're going to extend the podcast, I think, another 10 minutes beyond our usual hour just because I want to get through some of uh, the winners here on my end and then get some of your final thoughts. But to me, uh, before I get to the winners, I wanted to ask you what the Jets did was interesting because you saw the Giants draft Davis Webb in round three, not really needing a quarterback, but looking ahead to the future of their program where the Jets – they kind of waited another year and said, hey, we'll figure that out next year, whether it's Kirk Cousins or Jimmy Garoppolo in the free agency or maybe one of these uh, young quarterbacks in next year's draft class. Do you buy into that philosophy and agree, and agree with what the Jets are doing? I, I can't complain if they're wanting to tank and look forward to next year. I mean, we'll, we'll be the first to tell you we've got the eye on the 2018 class and the quarterback class is rich. So I think that's a really good look for them. But beyond that, maybe they are looking free agency. Still, though, in the later rounds, it would make sense, it seemed to me, to just to get some kind of passer. So that's uh, that's the part of it. I'm I'm still scratching my head for the Jets. I mean, at least bring a guy in. But then again, we are looking at a team that they've got an island of misfit toys, a quarterback prospects there. So I guess that's their that's problem number one. Yeah, they used a second-round pick on Hackenberg last year. They used, a, a, I think, a fourth-round pick on Petty the year before. Yeah. Uh, Geno Smith, another second-round guy. So, hey, they've been drafting them. Yeah, they just haven't been panning <laughs> out. But, uh, you know, for me, we talked about Jacksonville and Fournette and how Cam Robinson fell into their laps and they added some great talent there. But how about Cincinnati? John Ross, a boomer bust player. Joe Mixon, a boomer bust player. But they got the pass rusher in Willis and then the underrated guy in Lawson. Uh, Malone from Tennessee, the wide receiver we talked about in Glasgow, the defensive tackle. I thought Cincinnati really replenished their team and their roster ready to gear up for a playoff run. And, you know, Marvin – Marvin Jones, Muhammad Sanu, they, they lost some receivers in the past. So now John Ross with A.J. Green could work wonders with uh, Andy Dalton. Of course, you throw Joe Mixon back there all of a sudden now. They are restacked and reloaded to compete for a playoff run. And then Green Bay, you know, we talked about how the Giants rebuilt – or I'm sorry, the Jets rebuilt their secondary. How about what Green Bay did with Kevin King and Josh Jones? I mean, these are just – two long body fast guys and then uh Montrevious Adams on the defensive line I really like there Jamal Williams they added Malachi Dupree I thought the Packers and Ted Thompson who do their own independent scouting they do not subscribe to the Blesto or the National one of the few teams who do their own scouting the Packers did very well and then Atlanta uh we saw them go to the Super Bowl and they added Tack McKinley Duke Riley try to generate some pass rush. Uh, Harlow, the offensive lineman from Oregon State, there to, for some added protection for Matt Ryan that they dearly needed. DeMonte Kaze, Joe, who might be a great nickel slot type of cover corner. And then Eric Salbert from Drake, who could be a sneaky uh, selection there at the tight end. I thought Atlanta did very well in terms of um, boosting a very strong core roster and the Falcons, Packers, Bengals, Joe, three rosters that had uh, solid veterans. I thought they really added some nice youth to their team. But if I had to ask you chances of getting to the big dance 
next year between the Falcons, Packers, and Bengals. Obviously, the Falcons were there last year. The Packers have been there and knocking on the door. The Bengals, they haven't won a playoff game since Marvin Jones has been there over a decade, <laughs> but you got to like the roster. I mean, any who do you like <laughs> the best chances of those three teams? Oh, it's the Packers. I, I think the Packers were knocking on the door were it not for those injuries at cornerback. A lot of people forget that Sam Shields was lost for the entire season with a concussion. From day one, their uh, top corner was just gone. So that, I think, just they never rebounded from. And we saw the magic from Aaron Rodgers without a running back, with a banged-up offensive line, with a so-so. I mean, Jordy Nelson just one year from the ACL. I, I think the Packers, you know, not to go gambling again, but if I'm putting a future bet on the Super Bowl winner, it's hard not to look at Green Bay, magic man Aaron Rodgers with a lot more help and a healthier supporting cast. Uh, hard not to believe they get it done, but one thing I did want to add that you were to, I agree with you totally on Cincy just for the fact of look at the team speed they added. Joe Mixon, Jordan Willis, John, all these guys are explosive, just burners at their position. And, uh, hey, if you want to get an improvement, just put some talent around your uh, current team. That I think the Bengals did a good job, but they're a little far away. And, yeah, ugh, Packers, I think, uh, yeah, they're poised for greatness. They were, I think they were knocking on the door last year. Man, Joe, I might have to call you out a little bit here because, you called Aaron Rodgers the magic man, and I'm going to be the spokesperson on Don Mikowski's behalf. I think the magic man <laughs> right. has something to say about That's right. That. No, you're right. You're right. You're right. <laughs> I'm so sorry, hey. Don Mikowski. <laughs> hey, we got Don Mikowski online, too. Hey, <laughs> but uh, Jamal Williams from BYU, does he have a chance to become the feature back and move Ty Montgomery back to wide receiver? I think he does. I mean, of course, I'm a little partial to him, got to talk to him in Mobile. Uh, I think they want a power back, a kind of a pile mover, a guy that can get going uh, when things get tight and short yardage, and he's that profile. But also, they added three backs in this class. So, I mean, you got to factor that in. But, yeah, if, if I'm looking at any of these three of the rookies and compared to Montgomery's skill set, I think uh, Williams offers them a little things that Montgomery does. And, of course, you, you got to think they're still going to use Montgomery in a receiving role, how good he did, and just some of the natural skills he has. Uh, but I think Jamal Williams carved himself out a nice role on this team for, uh, you know, a Packer team that, like I said, you know, short yardage in the red zone, they could really use a back like Williams. Yeah, and if Williams wins that starting job, you move Montgomery back to wide receiver. You mentioned they took two other backs, maybe Aaron Jones from UTEP, takes, you know, replaces Montgomery in that slasher role. And then Devontae Mays from Utah State struggled with injuries last year, but five foot eleven, two hundred thirty pounds, another big back there to pair with Jamal Williams. Now, Joe, uh, we're going to wrap it up here. Some final thoughts. Uh, at the end of the day, again, NFL Draft Bible, NFL Draft recap show joe everett justin gamble christian dyer rick saratella joe final thoughts man when we pack it up and pack it in at the end of the day and you reminisce and you start to begin on the 2017 nfl draft at the end of the day it's going to be remembered by what 
and say, what a great tight end class. Even the guys that didn't get drafted made an impact. The guys throughout this, the 14 of them that got selected were impact players. And then also the other thing this is going to be remembered about, what were they thinking with Mitch Trubisky? I think a couple years down the road, people are like, really? The number two overall pick? And I think that'll be the kind of the, the thing that sticks out when people – you know, look back in the, you know, all 2020 hindsight, of course, but that's the guy I think, you know, people will really be scratching their heads thinking, wow, the draft experts got it wrong, but really not these draft experts. <laughs> well, hey. you know, Joe, I got, <laughs> I got to say, not just Trubisky, but also Mahomes and, you know, even Watson. Yeah. You, you mentioned Cade McCown and, and, and that 1999 draft class where, you know, Tim Couch, Achilles Smith, Cade McCown all went in the first round. Uh, even the, the, the next quarterbacks off the board, Sean King was in round two. Uh, you know, you had uh, Brock Horde there <laughs> coming off the board. This quarterback class could rival uh, that 1999 fiasco. And, yeah. You know, only time will tell, but I think that's what it'll be. it's always remembered, defined by the quarterbacks and the fact that three of them went in the first round. If none of them pan out, this will be the biggest year of failure since 1999. Uh, <clears throat> Prince, Q in the Prince song. Um, first pick in the 2018 NFL draft. Drum roll, please, Joe, will be. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going Sam Darnold, uh, USC quarterback. I think he's really – they're poised for a good season. But not only that, even what he's shown in the minimal amount of starts, that guy's a heck of an athlete on top of uh, spinning the ball the way he does and just a natural leader, it seems like. But what he's done just as a redshirt freshman is uh, Im- Im- impressive. And should he make the decision – now, he's just a lot of eligibility still left, but he'll be a redshirt sophomore next year. I think that – it, like we always talk about, when your stock's up as a quarterback, you do want to strike while the iron's hot, and, boy, that red-headed yeah. kid is on fire right now. Yeah, no doubt about it. And you saw what Josh Rosen's draft stock did in just a year. Everybody thought he was what Sam Darnold is now. And to me, yeah, Darnold looks the part. He could be the top QB prospect, best one we've seen since Andrew Luck. I think the way it's going right now. So uh, I agree with you. Here's an interesting scenario, Joe. The Browns just took Kaiser. Of course, they've had their share of QB problems. If the Browns wind up with the number one pick again next year, <laughs> are they pulling the trigger on Darnold or are they trading down? <laughs> They'd have to. I mean, especially with, uh, I believe Hugh Jackson has worked with Carson Palmer and has a liking for Trojan quarterbacks. So I'd look at that as a a nice little marriage. All right. There you have it. Um, Wow. Philadelphia did such a wonderful job this year with the draft, Joe. Is there any chance that it will be held anywhere else next year? Where will the 2018 NFL draft be located? I'm going wild card Boston. Uh, they've, they've, They've brought it to Chicago they brought it to Philly, you know, it's always in New York. Why not why not Boston? I'm sure these Patriots fans are 
dying for a little draft themselves, even though their team usually trades out of the first. But, you know, <laughs> I'll just throw the throw the wild card out there. We'll, we'll, we'll put it uh, in Boston. <laughs> that, would, <laughs> that would be a wild card. And, you know, the intriguing I, – I, I was driving into um, uh, Philadelphia leading up to the draft, and, and the governor called in and said Philadelphia has a bid for the – 2026 <laughs> to be the bicentennial 250 year celebration. They want to have the the World Series, the Super Bowl, the NHL Stanley Cup. But you know, to me, it'd be hard not to bring it back to Philly for another year. They gave Chicago two years, and Philly topped it in their first year. So I think they get another year. Um, I think after Philadelphia, it will then go to Dallas for 2019, and then. I know the Canton Hall of Fame in 2020 is pushing for a big 100-year anniversary, and it makes too much sense in 2020 uh, to have it at the Canton Hall of Fame where you can blend in the stars of tomorrow with the legends of yesteryear. Uh, So I think Canton will get it in 2019, and I think Las Vegas, uh, blink, blink, nod, nod, under-the-table type deal, Las Vegas will get the draft once that stadium is built. They'll have a, a, a draft in Vegas. And then I think L.A. will be on the docket, too. So that's what I'm hearing. Boston is definitely a wild card, but why not? One thing I think for sure, Joe, is that the days of the NFL draft being indoors are over. Yeah. You know, I, I mean, to have 100,000 people, I mean, they had more people at the draft than they had at a Friggin' Eagles game. <laughs> okay. Well, they're turning into so much more of a fan event, and now there's just flat out more fans involved than there used to be. Back to it used to be just draft nicks, diehard football fans, and now it's there's some passerby fans, people who watch college. It's just well, magnifying, and yeah, it makes sense to have it outdoors. Well, well, my first draft there was maybe two, three dozen media. And this year's draft, you had 2,000 credentialized media. So there you have it. All right, Joe, we're wrapping up uh, the 2017 NFL draft. Lo and behold, we're turning the page. Next time we talk, it'll be all about 2018. So parting shot on 2017, looking back. Hey, uh, it's it's been a blast. Uh, like I said, like uh, just going through the whole season in the summer, building up our big board, creating the CGS watch list, uh, going all these pro days, doing all these numbers, and you know surviving the combine. I tell you, it's uh, it's been a blast. But right now, I'm looking forward to Adam Shaheen's keg party in Chicago. You will always meet <laughs> me there. Uh, and outside of that, yeah, I'm getting ready for 2018. It's a it's going to be an awesome class of quarterbacks and amongst other things. So yeah, we we got our eyes already on uh, on the prize. Yeah, we can't stop. We won't stop. We're NFLDraftBible.com. We have the 2018 prospectus coming to you soon. The top 100 prospects in college football scouting reports on all 100. We're gonna have some other cool features too that we're gonna announce on the NFLDraftBible.com. You can follow us on Twitter at NFLDraftBible. Follow Joe Everett at Joe W Everett. Follow Justin Gamble at Gamscout. Follow Christian Dyer at Christian R. Dyer. Of course, we were presented by Premier Athlete Advisors, premierathleteadvisors.com. 
for them. GoParabolic.com for all your NFL Combine training facility needs and NFL Combine draft prep training. Um, and then, you know, special shout-out. Chris Shanafel couldn't join us today, but shout-out to Chris Shanafel, John Blair, and uh, Bill Carroll, and all the NFL draft Bible familia, um, all the hard work we've been putting in. The YouTube channel is off the chain, All Access Football YouTube channel. We've got just so much great content over there. Of course, here on Blog Talk Radio, you can uh, find us now on iTunes, uh, NFL Draft Bible on Blog Talk Radio. If you're just tuning in, you want to catch the whole show, man, we've got you covered from front to back. We'll be back with uh, College Gridiron Showcase uh, watch list show. We will be announcing some other new shows, so... Keep it locked. Can't stop, won't stop. We love you all. Thank you for all the fans that make us relevant. We we, we reach millions of people, uh, you know, month after month during the whole draft season each month. I mean, we reached over 5 million people the past four months on Twitter alone, never mind the website and the multimedia video blog. So it's just been incredible. And we thank you so much. And, uh, you know, I can't tell you how much, it means to us that you guys value our opinion and tune in and listen to the show. So please share, like, uh, subscribe, whatever the case may be. We appreciate you.